Believe in yourself, cause it starts with you And then everyone else will believe you too And if it looks like you're the only believer around Just keep on believing, don't put yourself down Just believe Our guest this week grew up in Dearborn Heights, Michigan Graduated with a degree in sports medicine from the University of Detroit Mercy from 2001 to 2007, she was a fullback for the Detroit Demolition, a women's professional football team, while winning four national championships and earning the MVP title in 2005. In 2009, she entered the Franciscan Sisters Third Order Charism, and since 2019, she served as the campus minister at Florida State University. Her name, Sister Rita Claire Yochis. And I'm Jack Rasool, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. I'm Jack Rasool, and this is Anything is Possible. And our guest tonight is proof that anything is possible. She was a fullback for the Detroit Demolition, earned MVP title in 2005, and then she became a nun. Her name? Sister Rita Claire Yochis. Sister, welcome and honor to have you. Thank you, Jack. It's great to be here. Can we start this evening by you leading us in an opening prayer, please? Yes, for sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our lives. We thank you for all that you've given us and poured out upon us. We pray that we may respond with grace to your invitations and to your voice. And we pray, Lord, in a special way for all those who are suffering, all those who are doubting and in darkness, who lack faith, and Lord, those who uh, do not know you. We pray in a special way that your grace penetrates their hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, sister. Let's go back to Dearborn Heights, Michigan. Talk about your childhood, your mom and your dad, please. Sure. I am one of three children. I'm a middle child, and I have an older sister and a younger brother. And uh, my mom was a teacher, and my dad was an engineer. And yeah, I just grew up in a great Catholic home, um, went to Catholic grade school and Catholic high school. And um, yeah, it was just always understood that we loved the Lord and that we go to Mass on Sundays. And um, we all seem to take, yeah, just take after my parents' invitation of that, an example of that. And um yeah, it was a great childhood, and um, my mom was very patient with me because I wasn't the typical girl. I liked to do the boy things with my brother and my dad, and my mom um, allowed me to just be myself, which was a very beautiful upbringing. What's the biggest thing, sister, you learned from mom, and what's the biggest thing you learned from dad? From mom, I would say serving others and loving others no matter who they were. She was always um, helping our neighbors and our friends, and um, taking in um, relatives and friends that needed a home and needed love. Um, all my all my friends considered my mom like their mom. And then my dad, he was my basketball coach and softball coach um, and volleyball coach all growing up. So he definitely just taught me how to work hard and how to be competitive and how to win, but also just how to have fun while doing it all. Well, he taught you very good because you went to Divine Child High School. You led them to two state basketball championships. Then you played U of D, uh, University of Detroit Mercy. 
How good were you, sister? <laughs> I was very good in the sense that I was just so competitive um, that I was never going to let anyone outwork me or out-train me or out-tough um, me. Like, I was just a very tough player. So I uh, might not have been the fastest or able to jump the highest or had the best shot, but I knew the game, I knew the court, and I was always the captain and the point guard and, like, calling the shots, calling the plays, telling everybody where to go and what they needed to be doing in order for us to win. So, yeah, I, I used what God gave me and, and was able to be successful with that. We're talking to Sister Rita Clariochis. Please tell us, Sister, that you were not a trash talker in your day. You know, only if the other teammate brought it out a little bit, I would uh, give it a little bit back. But I more tried to speak with my play instead of my mouth. <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, all right. So you went to U of D Mercy, very successful. And after college, you worked with athletes at Notre Dame University as a strength yes. and con conditioning coach for a couple years. Talk about that chapter of your life. Yeah, so I got my degree in sports medicine, um, athletic training, and then decided to work more in the strength and conditioning field. So when I went to Notre Dame, I was in charge of the rowing team, the crew team, and I also helped out with um, the cheerleaders. So I got to, to train the leprechaun at Notre Dame, and I did the fencers and the golfers and did some stuff with lacrosse and swimming and men's and women's basketball and ice hockey. So it was amazing. Like these athletes were top of the line and um, it was just so fun to train them um, to, in order to prevent injuries and, you know, keep them at the top of their game. So, yeah, I loved it. And I loved getting to be on Notre Dame's campus, getting to pray at the grotto and going to the Basilica every day. Um, it was it was very um, a very good time in my life. Since 2019, you have served at camp as campus minister at Florida State University. So I have to be careful here. But talk about that campus in South Bend, Notre Dame University. Yeah, the campus is really special, um, and I've got roots there. My grandpa played football there in the 1930s. So, um, yeah, just every morning waking up and seeing the dome and um, knowing that the basilica is right there, too, it's just a, it's a special place to be. Um, and, yeah, I, I definitely grew in my prayer life there because of just the environment I was in. Um, still didn't know much about my faith, but I came to know the Lord um, more while being there. Um, so, yeah. we're, we're talking to Sister Rita Clariochis, and she took off to Grandpa a little bit because she then went and played pro football as a fullback. When we come back, we're going to talk about that chapter of her life. And I'm Jack Rasool, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. We're talking to Sister Rita Clariochis. And from 2001 to 2007, she was a fullback for the Detroit Demolition a woman's professional football team. Sister, when you're told your mom you're going to be a professional football playing fullback, how did that go? Oh, she wasn't surprised at all. Um, my grandma was the one that was a little bit upset, I t and I took my name after my grandma. My grandma's name was Rita Claire, so she was the one that did not think it was a good idea, but my family all thought it was great and, and hilarious. Um, so, 
Yeah, I was actually out at a bar in South Bend, Indiana, when they announced that women's professional football tryouts were coming to South Bend, Indiana, and I was like, I need to go to this because all growing up, I wanted to be an American Gladiator and never got to do that, so this was the next best thing. So my friends and I went to tryouts, and I played that first year in South Bend for the South Bend Golden Hawks and then transferred up to Detroit for the next uh, five years to play for the Detroit Demolition. You led them to four national championships, and you earned the MVT title in 2005. I quote you now. You said you lived a crazy, wild party life and kept her faith to herself. What were you like in those days, sister? Yeah, I mean, I partied as late as I could on Fridays and Saturday nights and, you know, barely got up in time to make it to a 7 p.m. mass on Sundays and on the football team, we would bring kegs on the bus and, you know, just party the entire way home from away games. And, you know, I was surrounded by 70 women who, you know, we thought we were invincible because we were 52-1, and one, had only lost one game in our whole career, and we just thought we were on top of the world. And we, yeah, we were doing whatever we wanted with our lives because we thought we could. And um, it was... Uh, it wasn't the best place to be, but we thought we were, you know, everything that there was. <laughs> I uh, quote you again. Sports were pretty much my god. I mean, it was my idol. And it's what I did most of the time. I went to church every Sunday, but really only talked to God when I needed his help. Um, sports can be addicting, what was it like to be 52-1 and one over four years? Yeah, I mean, it's fun, you know. You really feel like you're on top of the world. And it, it was, we, we beat by, people by a margin of 70 points per game. Um, so we were really uh, a really good team, and we had a really good coach. But, yeah, when you add up the hours that, you know, I was working and then working out and then practicing and then playing football, you know, it really just doesn't leave much time for – reflection and prayer and service. And so um, in hindsight, looking back, you know, over my life, I, I knew when the Lord was calling me that I had to give this up because it was taking all of my free time. And I knew I needed to spend some of my free time with the Lord so that I could discern his will in my life. Speaking of listening to the Lord, at age 23, you go to church one Sunday and the, the uh, epistle was Galatians chapter 5, Verse 16 to 25, what did it say to you, sister? Yeah, when I heard um, the, the person who was doing the reading say that the acts of the flesh are sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery and hatred and jealousy and envy and drunkenness, and that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I was like, oh my goodness, it talks about drunkenness in the Bible, and I won't inherit the kingdom of God if I'm one of these people. It just really struck me. I had no idea that the Bible said that. I had no idea God talked about that, and I was, you know, just living a party life like that. And so it, um, it, I, my ears perked up, and I definitely was like, rethinking my life at that moment, but I wasn't ready to make a change um, until the very next weekend, <laughs> when the next weekend the reading was um, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 to 30, and this time the priest, he preached his homily on this reading, and it says, whoever 
therefore eats and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are ill and infirm and a considerable number of you are dying. And that priest went on to describe that you needed to go to confession if you've committed a moral sin, but mostly that you should not be receiving the Eucharist if you were in the state of mortal sin, which was something I never had heard and didn't know. I went to 12 years of Catholic, you know, grade school and high school, four years at a Catholic college, one year working at Notre Dame, and I had never heard um, that I shouldn't receive the Eucharist if I was in the state of mortal sin. I knew I needed to get to confession for what I had done, but I didn't know that at Mass every Sunday when I was showing up that I should have been refraining from receiving the Eucharist. And so that homily really just inspired me to get back to confession for the first time since like eighth grade. So it had been about 10 years. Um, I guess at my confirmation, I probably went to confession. I didn't, I don't really recall when the last time I had gone. Um, and that confession just really changed my life. Um, the priest told me as my penance to pray a rosary, which I had no idea how to do. And he also told me to listen to Catholic AM radio as my penance. And up until that point in my life, all I was listening to was like R&B and rap. And um, all of a sudden, I started listening to these Catholic theologians who were explaining to me what I believed and why I believed it. And my heart was just burning for more. Um, I wanted to know more. I wanted to understand more. And I just, um, I wanted the truth. And yeah, my life went from going in a downward spiral to now I was being drawn up to God and to heaven and to prayer um, in, a, in a really deep and profound way. Um, my grandma had died that summer, and her name was Rita Claire, and I literally felt like all of the holiness and grace that my grandma had was coming onto me because she didn't need it anymore because she was in heaven. And my grandma went to daily mass every day, prayed novenas for me all the time, and I always thought she was crazy, and I always thought, like, who would ever want to pray that much? And all of a sudden, when she died, I started becoming her and started liking it. I was like, I'm becoming like Grandma, and I'm okay with it. (laughs) For what it's worth, Saint Rita is the saint of the impossible. Mm -hmm. That suits you to a T. All right, 2004, you go to a pilgrimage in Rome in Assisi. You're in Assisi. You're outside of Saint Clare's Basilica. You see some poor Clare's nuns walking inside the church. And then the Lord talks to you. What is he Yeah, saying? I heard this voice inside of my heart, and the Lord said to me, you should do this, you could do this, as I was looking at the nuns. And at the time, I wasn't discerning religious life, I wasn't looking for that, but I couldn't deny it. Like, it was a, it was a deep, penetrating voice in my heart, and it was very surprising to me. I said, Lord, do what? Become a nun? Are you crazy? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I just did last night? There's no way I can do this. And I just... I didn't know anyone who had become a sister. I didn't know people were still doing it. You know, I was taught by Franciscan sisters growing up, but to me, you know, it was an ancient thing. And so not only did I think I couldn't do it, but I just didn't know anybody was even still really doing this. And so it was pretty shocking, and I still was living one foot in the bar and one foot in the church. I was loving everything I was learning about God, but I was not willing and not giving up my old life and my old friends. And so I was just very um, thrown off by this, um, by the Lord. But every night before I went to bed, you know, there was this tugging on my heart. You have a calling, you have a vocation. It just wouldn't go away, even though I tried to ignore it, tried to pretend it didn't happen, tried to not tell anybody about it. It was just so real. And so um, 
soon after that, I went to uh, a convent to check it out to just make sure I heard the Lord wrong and that this wasn't for me. But when I went, I saw that I wasn't the only girl discerning religious life. There was a hundred other girls there and that it was beautiful. And so I told the Lord I was open to it. But um, yeah, it was still not something I was very familiar with yet. We're talking to Sister Rita Claire Yochis. And in 2009, she decided to make the plunge. When we come back, we'll talk about that decision. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. This is Anything is Possible. I'm host Jack Rasula, and we're with Sister Rita Claire Yochis. Sister, let's go back to 2009. You decide, Heavenly Father, I'll listen to you. I'll become a nun. And you choose the Franciscan Sisters, T.O.R., Third Order Charism. Why that order, Sister? Well, uh, the Lord called me there. I visited the Sisters of Life in New York City. Um, I visited the Ann Arbor um, Dominicans that are teachers, and I visited the Carmelites in Los Angeles that um, run retreat ministry, and they're nurses and teachers. And, um, yeah, I didn't really feel called to be a nurse or a teacher um, or to work in pro-life ministry, like, full-time as my only um, charism, basically. And the Franciscans worked with the poor, the sick, and the unevangelized, and that just um, struck me. But really, when you visit a religious order, the first thing you come in contact with is their prayer life. And our order is contemplative active, and we have two holy hours a day. Um, we do praise and worship and the rosary, and we do the Divine Mercy Chaplet, have a, have a devotion to um, the mercy of God. And... Um, yeah, it's not about what we do, but it's about living the gospel way of life like St. Francis did. And that just really struck me, um, our prayer life, our penance, and our poverty, and also just living a gospel life, not necessarily having a full-time job that, you know, is teaching or nursing, but doing doing whatever the bishop's asking us to do for those who are in need. You used the phrase contemplative active. That seems to be an oxymoron. How do you do both? So we only take part-time jobs, and so we spend half our day, six hours a day in prayer, and half our day, six hours a day doing work or ministry. And so we, it's, a, it's a flow where you start with prayer, and then you go into the work or ministry, you come back for prayer, then go back to work or ministry, and then come back for prayer. So it keeps us very balanced, and it keeps us in a contemplative spirit all day long. All right. I quote you, we have an hour and a half of silent prayer during Eucharistic adoration every day. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're not speaking. What do you do for that hour and a half? I mean, you can do multiple different things, but a lot of times you just gaze on your beloved and let him gaze on you and listen to him. Um, but sometimes you're talking to him and he's talking back to you. And a lot of times um, I will meditate on Scripture passages and let the Lord speak to me through just the living Word also. You hear often that in order to reach God, well, in order for God to reach you, you have to have silence and solitude. Mm -hmm. Is that true, and why so, Sister? 
Yes, for sure. I mean, the three times that I felt the Lord call me to religious life, um, the first time I was on a pilgrimage praying, you know, outside of St. Clair's Basilica, and the other two times I was at like a retreat night getting prayed over, and I was in a in a place separated from my normal daily life, my normal work, and I was, you know, receiving prayer and, and praying. And it's just the, the place that you can hear the Lord the best, because you're away from distractions, away from noise, away from your regular schedule, and you're setting yourself aside so that His voice can actually break in. And you're also disposed to ask and hear His voice. When you're busy and talking, you know, you're not asking or listening usually. I quote you again, Penance is essential to our life and mission as Franciscan Sisters of the Third Order, regular of penance. Um, Why so, Sister? Well, St. Francis started three orders. The first was the Orders of Friar Minor, and they um, preached all throughout the world. And then the second order he started was the Poor Clares, and they were cloistered, and they focused on prayer. And then the third order that St. Francis founded were men and women that wanted to live a life of penance for their sins and for the sins of the whole world. And so it's just at the foundation of the start of our order. And the reason we wear ash gray is to remind us that we are to du- we are dust and we are ashes. And yeah, we just want to live um, in gratitude for all that the Lord has done for us and in reparation for all the sins committed against Him. And so we really just take penance on as one of our main, main charisms. All right. Your life motto or mantra, and I quote, the Christian life is not an athletic performance. It is a matter of poverty offered to God and transfigured by Him. Please, Sister. Yeah, I mean, I realized once entering religious life that kind of the way I lived my life my whole life beforehand is the gospel way of life is opposite of that, that um, less is more and to be poor is better than to be, you know, prideful and to be number one and to be on top and to be the strongest. Actually, the gospel values is, in a sense, weakness and poverty offered to God so that our strength lies in Him and not, you know, in what we think we can do um, or what we have done. And so it's all about offering it and surrendering it to Him and letting Him transform it and um, realizing just that we are nothing and that He is everything. And so, yeah, it's a big a big transition because in sports growing up, it's all about, you know, being bigger, faster, stronger, and being number one. And um, the gospel is, you know, the last shall be first. All right. Speaking of being gods, you are Jesus's bride. Mm-hmm. What's it like being married to Jesus? Uh, it's the best because he never messes up. So, you know, you have a perfect spouse who always has his gaze on you and always has your best interest and is just loving and supporting you and willing your good at all times. Um, it was very um, surprising when I felt called that the Lord wanted me to be his bride and I didn't think I was worthy of it. But the Lord has just shown me um, that from before my birth, He's consecrated me to be His own, and that this is what I was made for, and this is what um, my path is for happiness, um, to be a spouse to Him and to be bride and to be light to the whole world um, is my calling, my personal calling. And um, when I do that, um, the, world, the, the world is able to be changed by my witness. Sister, All successful husbands 
all successful, <laughs> happy husbands learn the words, yes, dear. <laughs> Does our Heavenly Father often say to you, yes, dear, sister? <laughs> Um, I would say I'm the one that says that more often to him because I know he knows better than I do, but he always calls me his delight and he's always showering his love upon me. Um, but he has never outdone a generosity. So I do know that when I beg and ask for his love and his help, he pours it out more than I can even see or ask for. So I guess you could consider, consider that a yes, dear. <laughs> The word enthusiasm is a Greek word. It describes great excitement or interest, like what you feel when you're doing something that you really, really enjoy. When I met Sister at a wedding reception a couple months ago on a Saturday night, her enthusiasm took over this room of 900 people. It was unbelievable. When we come back, we're going to talk about enthusiasm. If you look up in the Google, there's a picture picture of Sister Rita Claire Yochis after the word enthusiasm. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Jack Rasula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. possible. Fifteen of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. We're talking to Sister Rita Claire Yochis. Sister, one of the greatest traits you can be gifted with is enthusiasm. On a scale of 1 to 10, you're an 18 when it comes to enthusiasm. Um, how did you get it? And most importantly, how can we get it? I think it's part of my competitive nature. Once I believe in something, I want everyone else to know it and have it and to be on that team and to be, you know, in a sense winning. And now that it's all about God and for God, it just, I think it just multiplies because, you know, he's all powerful and he gives me the grace to spread his word and just be excited for him. But he also satisfies me. And so he's the one that's constantly filling me up. All right. Since 2019, You've been a campus minister at Florida State University, the Seminoles, the Seminoles. Um, first, talk about the campus at Florida State University. Yeah, besides being really hot, which I'm not used to being from the north, it's a very beautiful campus. Um, it's really weird going to a football game in November and it's 85 degrees and you're, you know, you're sweating because of the sunshine. Uh, it, was, it was a lot to get, to use, get used to, but um, something beautiful in the south is... 
it really is the Bible Belt, and so everyone is very, very kind and welcoming, even if you're a religious sister. We are the only religious sisters in the city of Tallahassee, and most people have never seen a sister or a nun except for on TV, and so I'd say, you know, most people want to hug us and take our picture because they've never seen one, and regardless, everyone else is just very generous and kind, where in the North, um, you experience a lot of dirty looks or um, people ignore you. So it's been a very beautiful experience coming down to the South. And this campus ministry, what do you do all day when you're not praying the six um, hours? Yeah, there's 43,000 students on campus, in addition to uh, 20,000 at a local community college and another 20,000 at Florida A&M, which is right around the corner. Um, 10,000 of them, you know, list themselves as Catholic. And um, our goal is to, you know, make ourselves known to them and reach out to them and let them know that we're here for them, because college can be a big time where you isolate yourself and you fall into, um, you know, not being the person that God created you to be. And so... We are present every Wednesday on campus um, just to show people that, you know, our club exists. And then we have a student mass on Sundays that over a thousand kids come to every Sunday um, from the school. And then we um, have a spirit night, which is a talk and a witness and praise and worship every Tuesday night. And about 200 kids come to that. And then on Thursday nights, we have men's and women's group where we do formation talks, teaching them how to pray, teaching them about scripture and about theology of the body, different cycles of formation with the men and the women where they do small groups and um, also more adoration. And then we do service every Friday. Um, There is a senior citizen and disabled people's home um, apartment complex right on our property, right on the Catholic Church's property, which is right across the street from Florida State University. And so we take students over there every Friday and do a Bible study and just Mm -hmm. visit with the people and talk to them, play games with them. Um, And then we do retreats and spring break mission trips. So we're always doing something with the students. All right. Let's change subjects. Let's talk about America's greatest natural resource, our young people. Mm. You're around these Gen Zers every day, tens of thousands of them. Tell us about the Gen Zers. Yeah, I mean, they are they are really joyful, they're really innocent, and they do want truth, and they do want what's good. Um, sometimes it takes a little while to break into, you know, their language or their, their generation. Um, but as soon as we do break in, I mean, they come around and they want to be mentored, they want to be taught, they want um, direction in their life, and they want to be taught how to pray and who God is and, and what the truth is. And so... Um, even though they're growing up with so much information on their phones and on the internet, they're also growing up with less traditional upbringings. And so they aren't being taught a lot of the truths and the values that, that we grew up with. And so there's a hunger there for authenticity. A lot of them, um, majority of them come from broken families and it just, you know, it breaks their heart. And so they, they struggle with trusting and knowing like what is good. And so it's, you know, it's starting with a lot of basics with them, but, the um, opportunities that they have because they are so motivated to be successful. Um, it's amazing to get to start that young with these students and not have to wait till somebody's in their 30s to have a conversion. I've heard it said oft times that kids spell love, T-I-M-E. Please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, again, they're so used to being around their families or being at home and everyone's on their devices. And so to have 
four religious sisters here at Florida State University that don't have a iPhone, and when we're with them, we're with them. I think it's um, I think it's life changing for them um, to see that they can just come up to the church right across the street from a, a wild, crazy campus and have the attention of people who have given their entire life over to God and something just so countercultural that it can't help but affect them. What have the Florida State University students taught you, sister, these past five years? Mm. They've taught me to, yeah, be honest, because, you know, in a sense, you're like a parent to them, and so you've got to be a good example to them at all times. They're always watching you and looking at you and and even, you know, mimicking or copying you. And so um, to be authentically always who I am as a religious sister, as a bride of Christ, um, they've taught me that. And also just that, again, like you said, all they want is your care, your time, your attention, and your love. So that I don't have to have all the answers or be perfect, but I can just be there for them. And that's that's really what they need and want. We're talking to Sister Rita Clariochis. If you want to learn more, www.franciscansisters, with an S, and then tor.org. I've heard it said often from people that if they could give our young people one piece of advice, it would be forget yourself and help others if a young person's listening tonight and says, Sister, how do I learn to forget myself? I think it starts with prayer, going to prayer, because that takes you outside of yourself and takes you into the realm of God and heaven, and so that it's, it's not all about you. You know, you're not just looking at your phone and looking in the mirror. And then God leads you to know how to care for yourself and for others and what's best for you. Um, because there's so many opportunities to be on mission and to serve, um, but we've got to be doing what the Lord has designed for us to do. And so if we're not checking with Him first. But, but when we sacrifice and go to prayer, I mean, that is, it, it's hard, right? Because you're just, it's not about you. It's about serving the Lord and being there with the Lord in silence and solitude. And so I think that's like the best start before, um, before we start getting into whatever maybe social justice type um, philanthropy thing that we feel maybe we should help out with. Speaking of serving the Lord and trusting him, you have great devotion to Blessed Solanus Casey. Tell us about him and why so. Well, when I was working in Detroit, um, I was personal training people in their homes, and so when I would drive to the east side, I would pass by... um, St. Bonaventure's Monastery, and I would stop in every week and pray at his tomb, and um, I would go to confession there also. And um, I prayed for miracles at his tomb, and every time I prayed at his tomb, I felt the power of the Holy Spirit coming forth from him and him interceding for me. I really prayed to him for myself to be faithful to my vows of poverty, chastity, obedience, and I really felt his intercession. And I also prayed for a miracle um, for my dad, and I believe that prayer was answered also. Um, My dad came back to confession at the Solanus Casey Center with me um, and and just prayed at his tomb also. And I just, I know that Solanus has been working miracles in Detroit for so many people for so long, but it was such a exciting privilege to get to be praying at the tomb of a saint um, that, you know, was so recent to and so present to Detroit. Um, Yeah. Speaking of praying before, I quote you again. Pray before the Blessed Sacrament in the tabernacle for five minutes for 12 straight days, and your life will change forever. Really? Mm -hmm. 
Yes. I mean, I was challenged to pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament every day for a week when I was 24. Um, I went to a conference uh, on prayer, and they explained to us what adoration was. Again, I was 24 years old, had never heard about Eucharistic adoration, even though, again, I went to Catholic school and Catholic grade school and high school and college. I had never heard of Eucharistic adoration. And so the woman giving the talk challenged us to pray for five minutes in front of the Blessed Sacrament every day for a week. And the first day I did it, I, for the first time in my life, looked at God and allowed Him to look back at me. And I felt His presence. I felt God the Father grab me and pull me onto His chest and give me a hug like only a father can give a daughter. And I knew that I knew that I knew that He was real and that I wanted to go back every day and pray before Him because I experienced Him saying to me, welcome back. Um, because God knew I had been running away from him. And so I think everyone's looking for home and for peace and for comfort, and you can find that in front of the Blessed Sacrament. You can lay all your burdens down every day for five minutes, and you can just receive the power of the Holy Spirit, receive the love of a Father, receive the sacrifice that Jesus Christ offered for each one of us. I mean, I don't know what else could possibly be better um, for five minutes every day. We're talking to Sister Rita Clariotis, and just on radio... Listening to her, her inner peace is phenomenal. Sister, keep up what you're doing and uh, pray for all of us, please. I will, for sure. I do every day, six hours. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Rasula. Thanks for listening. Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spall. Believe in yourself.